Hi, I'm Tara. And I'm Steph. And we're from Kobo Writing Life, Kobo's free, fast and easy self-publishing platform. KWL was built by authors for authors. And our team of dedicated book lovers is always working hard to help authors reach new readers around the world. With Kobo Writing Life, authors can now publish audiobooks and ebooks right in their KWL account. We don't ask for exclusivity and you'll always control your pricing in up to 16 currencies. You can also create a pre-order for your audio and ebooks with no date limitations. We have a lot of great promotional opportunities for Kobo Writing Life authors available in the promotions tab right in their KWL dashboard. If you're an author and you don't have access to the promotions or audiobooks tab, email us at writinglife@kobo.com and we'll get you sorted. We're all about providing excellent support. Create your free account today at kobo.com/writinglife. If you want to learn more about Kobo Writing Life, check out our blog, podcast, and find us on social. Happy writing! Whether you are traditionally published or indie, writing a good book is only the first step in becoming a successful author. The days of just turning a manuscript into your editor and walking away are gone. If you want to succeed in today's publishing world, you need to understand every aspect of the business: editing, formatting, marketing, contracts. It all starts with a good book. Then the real work begins. Join international best-selling author JD Barker and indie powerhouse Jay Thorne as they gain unique insight and valuable advice from the most prolific and accomplished authors in the business. The publishing world is changing, adapting. Do you have what it takes to become a full-time writer? If you're willing to do the work, we'll give you the tools. Get your notepad out. School's in session. This is Writers Inc. All right. Welcome back to another Q&A episode for the month of November. Zach, do we have some good questions lined up here? Well, I haven't read them yet, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I try not to read them in advance. So, uh, you know, so they, they could be horrible. I don't know. but no, I, How do you no, copy and paste some, them I, if you don't look at them? I just copy and paste them. I don't really, I mean, I, uh, I probably subconsciously look at them, but I don't really like read them and really see what they're about. All right, fair about, enough. So. All right, well, I got a pot of coffee in me, so let's go rapid fire these guys. All right, let's go. <laughs> All right, so uh, this first one, we've got a voice question. This one's from Kathy Spader. Hey, guys. I've been writing some short stories lately as a way to sharpen my skills with story structures. I'm thinking some of them might work well as full-length novels. I like that the short story provides a solid outline to develop a longer character and more involved plotline. My question for you is, have you ever taken a short story and expanded it into a novel? And what was your experience? Thanks. So, <laughs> I guess I'll, I'll take this one. Um, I, I, I've tried writing short stories, and I've got a few that are, are done. And back in the day when I worked at, at magazines and, and newspapers, you know, like I, I had a number of short stories that actually got published. Um, but for me, like, you know, at that point, and, and even now to a certain extent, I, I was a pantser. Um, so I just kind of just told the story and, and let it go, you know, wherever it needed to go. So, you know, it, it was either a 5,000 word story or 10,000 or 40 or 140. Um, I just kind of wrapped it up. So I never really made a conscious decision to like force myself to write short stories other than those. Um, but yeah, I think in general, like I think as an author, you, you kind of get a feel for that. You know, you know whether the story you're, you're going to tell, you know, whether it's going to fit in a short form or long form, um, and you kind of need to go from there. If you try to do either or the other way, you know, around, if you try to take a novel length idea and turn it into a short story, you're going to lose something. And if you try to take an idea that's, you know, really more geared towards a short story and try to flesh it out as a novel, it's going to feel like it's full of fluff. 
Um, and I've been on the receiving side of that as a book doctor where, you know, somebody has taken a you know story that they wrote that was 40,000 words. They added another, you know, 20 to 40 to try and turn it into a novel length work and try to get a publisher to bite on it. And, and you know, you can almost take a highlighter and run it through the stuff that was added because it just doesn't feel right. Um, so you just have to kind of go with your gut, you know, tell the story the way it's meant to be told, wherever your word count ends up, you know, that that's where you try to place it. Yeah, I've never done it either, but I also, the way I approach writing a short story is very different than a novel. And I, I just can't, I can't see myself taking a short story and, and feeling like I could expand it to a novel. Yeah, you know, honestly, like, you know, Jim's been helping me, Patterson's been helping me a lot with, um, you know, outlining and, you know, doing that particular process, you know, like I know, you know, how many chapters are now going to be in the book. I know each of those chapters is going to be a thousand to twelve hundred words, um, you know, so I know the length of that book before I even sit down to write the first, you know, first page of it. Um, so there's there's a lot of, you know, insight that comes out of out of all that. So, you know, that, and that's just me feeling out this particular process. You know, I'm trying something different. You know, five years from now, I might be doing, you know, something completely different from what I'm doing now, but um, yeah, I wouldn't try to force it one way or the other. I have done this. <laughs> okay. So, um, and yeah, I, now the, the book I ended up writing, the novel was like one of the first books I wrote, so it's not very good, but I'm actually thinking about unpublishing it and at some point and rewriting it because um, to this day, my editor tells me it's like the best idea I've ever had for a book. <laughs> I just didn't execute it really well to begin with, so um, yeah, I did it. I enjoyed it. Um, you know, but there, but like, I, I do agree with what you guys said. It's, it is very hard to expand. I mean, there's very few such like, I know fight club was like that. I mean, fight club started out like as just a short story or scene or something and it ended up being expanded, but it's pretty rare for that to happen and be successful. So, all right. So let's go to this one from Jeff Elkins, uh, the dialogue doctor. Uh, how do you weigh administrative cost through versus potential returns? You're each building things outside of just writing books. Zach just started Discord. Jay's doing NFTs. And JD has real estate investments. Uh, Jeff, it's a real estate empire, just so you know. Um, <laughs> knowing that with each of these things, there's a cost of time and effort. How do you decide if something is worth it? Also, how do you think about the term limit on that investment? Like Discord groups or NFTs could potentially go on forever. Does that weigh into your decision making? I mean, I, I know on my stand, my side, I, I take 10% of everything that comes in um, and it, it goes into what, what I call my advertising account. So like that's where, you know, Facebook money comes from, Twitter money comes from, things like that. Um, everything, another 30% comes off the top and goes into another account for taxes um, just because I, I like to make sure that that money's put off to the side. Um, the one thing I do a little bit differently, and this is probably going to get my accountant to yell at me, but I, I don't actually pay the, the the IRS quarterly like you're supposed to do, you know, when, when you're self-employed. <laughs> oh, man, um, you rebel. My, my Money. No, my money goes into a, a stock account. I trade that, and you know, at, at, at the end of the year when I do my tax returns, then I then I write that check. I always get hit with a penalty, but the difference is the the money that I actually make, you know, by trading that stock or by you know investing that money, it far exceeds the amount of the pen, the penalty that the IRS charges me for doing that. Um, so for those of you that are, are still kind of new to this world, like once you're self-employed, the IRS, your your accountant or whoever is going to give you little coupons based on your previous year's earnings, and it's going to say, okay, here's an estimate of what your tax 
taxes are going to be or how much you're going to owe for the upcoming years. So once a quarter, you have to write that check. Um, so I'm just, I'm just not doing that. Um, with everything that's left over, my wife and I just sort of discuss it. I mean, for the most part, it, it goes into real estate, um, you know, she, and she finds those. She finds those particular properties. And I, like I found one the other day that I absolutely loved, and I showed it to her. And she's like, no, look at this one on VRBO. It's only renting for $169 a month. We could buy this one for $100,000 less, and it's renting for $550 a month or a night. Um, you know, so it's, um, you know, like she finds that type of stuff. But we, we expand beyond that. Like I was at the dermatologist the other day, and, you know, they use lasers for a lot of uh, different treatments that they use in the dermatology office. Um, there's one particular laser. It's called a Fraxel laser that's fairly expensive. Um, and in Florida, they're very common where we came from. Like literally every dermatologist office had one of these. But up here in New Hampshire, there's literally one laser that's floating out of an office in Boston, and it makes its round through all these dermatologist offices for the entire month. So like one office has it for, you know, like four hours or one full day. Um, so I just struck a deal with a local dermatologist office and I told them I will buy you the laser. You can keep it on site, you know, every day and we'll split the profits on that 50, 50. Um, you know, so now they can book a gazillion more appointments and I'm basically collecting revenue from a, a laser from people that are doing, you know, whatever it is, fractal lasers do, you know, at the dermatologist office. Um, you know, so we're, we're constantly looking for, for different ways to, to expand. Um, you know, I, I'm always thinking, you know, the next book just is not going to sell and the dollars are going to dry up. And, and I like knowing that that passive income is coming from other places. So we're just always looking for opportunities there. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll say I don't have the capital JD does, <laughs> uh, but I you do. mean you can't buy a fractal laser, <laughs> but I do, I do reinvest, uh, business profits. And, uh, what I, what I, there's sort of two things that I try that I do. And I, I know like people make fun of me cause I start and quit things a lot. Um, but that's part of my process. So I, what I do when I test, when I try something, I do a minimally viable product. Um, so for me, it's typically I, I create a product and then I roll it out, but I don't build the whole thing. I build just what I need to launch it and see if people will open their wallets. If they do open their wallets, then I continue to invest time and money into it uh, as long as money's coming back in. If I have an idea and people don't buy it, I immediately quit. I don't get emotionally attached to, to any project or idea. It's strictly determined on whether or not people will pay money for it. So it's, a, it's, a, it's not quite the same as JD's investments, but for me, it's more about um, just moving fast and, and not holding on. Like it set, a, set a certain uh, metric for success, and if your project doesn't hit that pretty early on, then, then quit it and try something else. Yeah, you know, it's funny you, you mentioned that because back when I worked at the brokerage firm, I used to see this all the time. You know, people would buy a stock and they get emotionally attached to that stock. Um, and, and they had no problem selling it on the upside, which was weird. You know, like it would go up just a little bit and they're like, okay, I'm going to take my profits. I'm going to get out. Um, but when it would drop, they, they always wanted to hold it. You know, like it'll come back or they'll double down. They'll buy more of it when it starts dropping to get their cost basis down and things like that. They get emotionally attached to that investment. Um, so what you're, what you're doing there makes absolute sense. You just, you don't get a emotionally attached to any of these things. You just kind of throw a bunch of, you know, different ideas up against the wall and, and see what sticks. And to put this all in context, I mean, anybody that's ever heard me talk before, you know, they know all this real estate stuff that I started or that I've got now. It, it started with my wife and I buying a, a duplex in Pittsburgh, you know, and, and I, I think our out of pocket for that particular duplex was around, I think it was $23,000 when all was, all was said and done, um, you know, that the, the down payment that we had to put on it, you know, and we just, over the years, we've rolled, you know, from that to this, to that, to this and just, you know, it, it compounds and it expands. Uh, but that was, you know, 2014, 2015. That wasn't that long ago, you know. So anybody could do this. You just have to be willing to, to commit to it and, and stick with it.
All right. I'm gonna, I don't have anything to add, so I'm going to jump to Stephanie Bond's question. Um, hey, Jay, Zach, and JD. How do you view the holiday season? A time to get away from writing or a time to double down when everyone else is busy? Jay, I think you'll have a fun answer for this one. <laughs> hey, Steph. What's a holiday season? <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought your answer would be. <laughs> Uh, I, I'm not, I don't know. I, I'm wired differently. Like I don't really care much about holidays and anniversaries and significant events. And, uh, I basically, I just roll through. I mean, of course, like Thanksgiving and Christmas, I, you know, I'm, I'm spending time with my family, but like, as far as a season goes, I don't like shut things down. I don't take a lot of time off. Uh, uh I'm kind of to the point now where my work and my lifestyle are kind of the same. Like it, it would feel weird if I just got up and didn't do my stuff like it would just i don't know it would feel odd so i'm probably an outlier but that's that's my perspective no i'm 100 I'm percent with you i'm you know like holidays coming like it was veterans day the other day like i had no idea if my computer hadn't dinged at you know 10 o'clock in the morning and told me um you know i i write every day you know whether it's my birthday my anniversary you know the only day i take off is, is sundays and, and mainly just because that's when all my friends are off and we try to do something a little different we do something as a family um you know i'll, I'll probably write on christmas um just because i i enjoy to write i enjoy writing you know like i like sitting down at my desk i like telling that story i, I like that process and it, it doesn't take me long to you know to hammer out a, a few words I, I won't be as productive on a day like christmas as i might be on a you know any other tuesday um but but i will be working um yeah, I, I can't think of a single time where I've I've taken you know time off from from writing. I mean, don't tell my wife, but like even on our anniversary, I had my iPhone out and I was hammering away stuff in simple <laughs> notes. So, <laughs> you know, it, it's I, it's it just it's it's built in me. And and honestly, I think in order to succeed in this this particular industry, you, you kind of need a little bit of that. Wow, I guess I'll be the slacker here. So especially after that last dance, JD put out, if I want to succeed. But no, I think I, I, I do agree with you guys. Like I, uh, I don't, holidays are just other days to me. Like it's not a bit. Now I think for me though, uh, Christmas is a big deal to my mom specifically. So like we do take time off to go down to visit my, our families and stuff for Christmas for a week. Um, so, and I don't, I use, I typically don't work then. I just do family stuff. And this year I actually, um, am trying to set myself up where I can take two weeks off. So um, I'm going to have, have this book I'm working on. It's going to be completely up on Amazon, ready to be published for the pre-order. And I'm going to take the week off when I see them, but I'm also going to take a week off either before or after. I haven't decided yet. Um, but uh, just just because I want to try it and see how it makes me feel. So uh, and, and see if I actually can stay away from the desk for an extra week while I'm home and not work. <laughs> So, uh, so we'll see, but, uh, yeah, I feel lazy now. Thanks guys. <laughs> um, maybe I'll go start a construction company. So, um, Christian, Christian Matthews has a few questions here. Um, when should you start shopping for a book cover before in the middle or after you finished writing your manuscript? I'm going to take this one first cause I've been going to you guys. Um, I think that kind of depends on a couple of things. A, how confident are you <laughs> in your process? And B, how busy is your cover artist? Um, my cover artist is uh, super busy and, uh, and is on a several month wait. So I'm actually having to buy covers in my series two at a time and ahead of time. <laughs> but 
I have published 35 books. So I know I'm going to get to the finish line on the series. It's selling well. Uh, she's actually already made me the cover for the last book in this series. Um, now, as a general rule, um, you know, I if you need some motivation to finish your book, I will tell you that like buying it early on in the process, buying that cover and having some skin in the game. I mean, that is, I know some people that's motivating for them. Um, you know, I, I have a couple of covers on my computer that I never used <laughs> that I bought early on and never finished those books. But, um, but I don't know. I, what I do now though, like, like I said, for dead South, I am buying them in advance, but typically, I usually buy them somewhere in the middle of working on the first draft. Um, but again, it depends on how busy the cover artist is. So, but that's kind of my rule of thumb. Um, from my standpoint, it, it's, it just kind of depends on the book, you know, cause a lot of my stuff is traditionally published. You know, the things I do with Patterson, I've got zero say in that, you know, like I, I just saw the, the cover for the latest one on Amazon before somebody actually sent it to me. Um, you know, so I don't see those in advance at all. Um, for my own books, I, I try to get a cover done as, as early as possible. I usually have a, a vague idea of what I want fairly early on in the writing process. And, and I like to flesh that out and I'm, I'm usually wrong. So like I need to go back and forth with my cover designer, you know, quite a bit before I land on something I actually like. Um, but even a book that I plan to traditionally publish, I usually submit it to, to my agent with a cover in, you know, attached to it or as part of the, the word document. Um, and I, the reason I do that, I, I learned this long time ago, like you can kind of sway people's opinions. Um, you know, like I personally, as the author, I, I know I will put more time and more effort into creating the perfect cover than somebody at the, a large publisher will, because, you know, when it goes to the marketing people or the people that have to actually design those, you know, they've got 10 other ones on their desk that they have to create. And most of the time they haven't read the book, you know, so they'll create a nice cover and it'll be based on the elements, you know, the fonts and the color schemes and stuff that are popular at the, you know, any given time. Um, but it's not going to be as, as detailed as one that you could put together on your own. Um, so if anything, if you supply a cover to a traditional publisher, Publisher, it's going to kind of steer that ship a little bit. It might give them an idea that they hadn't considered. Um, they may nix it all together and say they don't want to use it, but I like to put it out there. Uh, and the other thing I've been trying lately is I, I recently had a trademark version of my name created, and I want to try and get that on every one of my covers. And we're going back through my back catalog and, and previously published, published stuff you know, in all the different languages, and they're, they're updating covers and adding that. Um, so it helps if I you know, send that along to the traditional publishers with a new manuscript and say, hey, we're trying to use this trademark version of my name so that it's consistent across the board we'd like for you guys to use it too by the way here's a cover that kind of matches that same design you know to give you a little bit of a head start um you know it's no different than you know like i, I tend to write the the tagline in the, in the back of book blurb and submit that with the book as well because you know it's a good starting point i think i'm going to put more thought into it than you know some of the other people down the pipeline might all right uh kristen kristen has another question here uh, I, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole. <laughs> this is a, he, he, he uh, uh, what are the pros and cons with going traditional publishing over indie? That'll be the rest of our conversation. If we do that, I that's the rest like. of the year's episodes. Yeah. So <laughs> we'll, I'm going to skip that one for now. Cause that's a deep rabbit hole. Um, I'll ask other question though. Uh, what are your go-tos for podcasts and blogs? Maybe you guys can each name like one or two podcast or blogs you really, really like. 
Uh, I've honest, I, I've trimmed it back quite a bit. I listen to Dead Robot Society um, only because those guys make me laugh. I mean, at this point, like I've been listening to them for so long that I don't think there's any new information they're going to throw out there that I haven't heard before. But they're they're funny, you know. So I, I like that. Um, I listen to Joanna because she's always on top of the game when it comes to any new information coming out and and you know stuff that's not out yet. You know, like she she's her her head is off. You know, two three years in the future. Um, so it's kind of nice to listen to that. Um, and I've been listening to to uh, six figure authors quite a bit as well. Um, just to, you know, see if there's any little nuggets there that I might be able to get, but that, that's kind of it. I mean, the rest of my, my time, I usually put into audiobooks. Jay. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll chime in here. My, my podcast listening habits change. So I'm, I'm constantly adding and removing podcasts. So this is a snapshot in time for me. Uh, some of my go-to podcasts, Tim Ferriss show of years, James Altucher, I've been listening to him for years. Uh, Seth Godin's Akimbo from the very beginning, uh, I uh, also listen to the Huberman Lab. That that's a, a a recent one. He's more of like science based behavioral stuff. Uh, I love Smartlist just because the guys crack me up and they have great guests. Um, Eddie Trunk podcast. If you're a fan of heavy metal, you got to listen to that. I still listen to Pat uh, Pat Pat's uh, SPI uh, podcast, and uh, I really like uh, Brian McDonald's You Are a Storyteller. That's also a great one for writers. Awesome. Thanks for one or two podcasts you really like, Jay. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's try to hit these our last couple of questions here. We got one from our boy Chris Wills across the pond. Uh, he says, ignore cover. <laughs> he always says this. He always says, ignore all this stuff. Ignore cover, blurb, title, marketing, etc. What one writing skill would you like to improve for your own writing, and how could you gain that skill? Oh, um, Jamie, you grunt, so you get to go first. <laughs> this this is always changing. Um, for me right now, it's it's all about character development. Um, you know, we talked about this on the podcast the other day, and one of the exercises that I do with some of my mentoring students, I had them pick up a copy of a, a Stephen King short story collection and go through each short story and highlight the you know the one or two sentences or the paragraphs that he uses as he introduces each individual character. Um, mainly because you know I'm a huge fan of King, which everybody knows, um, but he's capable of creating a total person person in in two or three sentences um you know and that's a skill that very few authors actually have and i'm personally trying to master so i i just rewrote the first chapter of my latest book probably four or five times i spent almost a week on you know 1200 words over and over again just tweaking those you know the first introductions to each of those particular characters um and and i think of the place as a character as well you know to me the, the location is just as important as the people um so just you know choosing the right words you know taking three words and combining it down into one and doing whatever I needed to to try and you know create real person real people real places and everything with the short shortest amount of words um, that leave the longest you know lasting impression like that that's kind of where I'm at right now yeah yeah kind of in the, in, in the same place with a little different angle I've uh, also been really focusing on characterization but I've been doing deep dives on comedy archetypes so I'm uh, I'm running I'm trying to write a lot more comedic stuff, uh, not only in genre but just um, within within genre fiction, and uh, and and trying to figure that out's been really interesting to me because uh, the character for comedy it's not about the jokes or the gags it's about placing the archetype in the right context and that's what makes it funny. So like for example, if you think about The Office, um, Dwight is funny not just because of the gags but because of who he is within The Office. Um, and Jim plays the straight man and they play off of each other. So um, in a slightly different way, I'm also really 
learning a lot and, and practicing on characterization uh, with comedy. Comedy. So being somebody who's not naturally funny or has no you know, comedic skill, like, is this difficult for you to do? <laughs> <laughs> I can learn from I'm you, just, I guess. You got a lot of I'm it. I'm just messing with you. I know. Oh <laughs> oh, Com- comedy, honest, honest. Back and forth here. Comedy has got to be one of the hardest things to write, you know, out there, you know, it, and one of the most difficult things to act. Uh, people don't give those, those guys credits, you know, they, for, for a comedian to stand up on a stage and make an entire room laugh, like the amount of skill that's necessary to do that is is unreal. I've, I've got major respect for those people. I, I think it's the hardest performance art in the world. I seriously Absolutely. do. Stand up comedy. It, there's nothing. It's you, your voice, period. That's it. Yep. It's all, all about inflection and delivery and like there's so much going on there and and you know the ones that are able to make all of that stuff look totally effortless are the ones that, that succeed. Yeah, take us out of here. To our listeners, make sure you go to writersincpodcast.com and grab the free revision masterclass where you can see the storytelling process from beginning to end. We'll see you next episode and have a great week of writing. Thanks for listening to this episode of Writers Inc. Access the show notes and leave a comment at writersincpodcast.com.